Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hello, everybody. This is episode number 85. You know it. I know it. Zorak know it. This week, we're going to be talking about the code review process for web developers and how it can make you a better dev. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing quite well. I've got a beard trim on. I see that. I still, I still have the length, but I took some of the weight out of the sides. To I'm surprised the beard of... let you trim it. Well, it it fought, and <laughs> let me tell you, I may need a new trimmer after that, but <laughs> I got there. I think you should tell us about your plans. You can come and ping us on the Twitters and Instagiggles and Facebook. Twitter and Facebook.com slash Drunken UX and Instagram.com slash Drunken UX podcast. And come and join our chat on the Discord at DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. What are you drinking, Michael? Well, Woodchuck, hard cider. Ooh. Canned Woodchuck, no less. Not the, not by the bottle. So nice. It's I, I like it this way because like it's less. There's, there's not quite as much here as a consequence. So. Right. I don't feel like I'm guzzling bottles of beer necessarily, but yeah, no, I like it. My wife can drink it. She's gluten-free, so this nice. works well for both of us at that point. Plus, I, as I've said before, I don't really like beer. I've, there are a few that I will have now and then, but generally I don't like normal beer. So, But a woodchuck, cider, I'm, I'm down with. And what do you have, good I'm, sir? I'm doing my Shackleton again from a few, weeks, mm. a few episodes ago. Um, You're hooked, aren't you? It's nice. It's, uh, I don't want to say that it's forgettable, but like it's when you want unoffensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like, it's very neutral, but like in a good and bad way. Like it's a, it's a public sector employee. It's, you know, it's just, it just, it's there. It does its job. It's, you know, well, I bought it. I better drink it. (laughs) It it does. It's eight to five and then it goes home. You know, that's, that's the kind of touch this is. Hey, there's a lot of respect for just those good hard workers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Little, little blue collar on your scotch. Right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Even at the price point, too. Hard to go wrong <laughs> with that. Like, I would definitely buy another bottle when I finish this one eventually. Nice. Yeah. I gotta find some. I yeah. I have not seen it around here, so... Uh, let's <laughs> see. What do we got? This is episode 85. We've mentioned this is better development through effective code reviews. Uh, we're going to be talking about... The process of looking at your code, looking at other people's code, mm-hmm. why you should do it, how you should do it, um, and and what those benefits kind of are. Uh, if those words don't mean anything to you, or you've <laughs> heard the words code review and you're not entirely sure what it actually means, uh, the definition I stole from over, there's an article at Smart Bear about code review that we'll have in the show notes. They say, code review, or here, code review, is the mm-hmm. act of consciously and systematically convening with one's fellow programmers to check each other's code for mistakes and has been repeatedly shown to accelerate and streamline the process of software development like few other processes can. Sorry, practices can. Uh, what, we're, what we're talking about tonight is, is more like the, the process of reviewing code. It, it's kind of like, like, think about like a double check process. Like you're, 
quick like reviewing what you did, making sure you don't have any like debugging code or like any like you put comments where you need them, you took comments that you don't need out, you have any like dead code removed, you know, just reviewing whatever it is before it gets merged into the main line. This is all assuming it, you're using source control, of course, but you don't have to be. It's peer review in the sense of articles, medical articles. Yes. When, when medical yeah. work gets done and published in a peer-reviewed journal, the reason that happens is explicitly so that other people will read that chunk of work and mm-hmm. then check it. Right. Now, that process is, of course, a little more drawn out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's a little slower and longer because their work takes forever. But in spirit, it's still very similar to this. It's just that we tend to turn out a lot of code very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that review process just becomes part of the release cycle, as it were. It's especially important when you have, um, like in uh, professional development, like as a junior developer, when I would do code reviews with my my more senior team members, they would, um, you know, help me see things that maybe I could have done better. And it helps me once you can kind of check your ego and you can see it as like, this is going to help me. This is a good thing. I'm not on trial here. This will make my code better. Um, it can be really beneficial. And as, as a senior person now, I get to work with juniors and I love it. It's one of my favorite things. I, I love to sit down with a junior and review their code with them and then kind of talk them through stuff. And it's it's a great opportunity to both teach and to be taught. So let's start with uh, explaining to folks why just why code review is good in general. Sure. Um, because one of the things that I think can catch people a little bit off guard is this idea that having somebody, having to stop what you're doing, to have mm-hmm. somebody else look at it, and those people are going to give you feedback that's going to force you to go back and change work that you've already done. Like that can feel very antagonistic in nature. It can feel and very disruptive, disruptive, counterproductive. And so I think it's let's kind of start by emphasizing the good of of this process. Yeah. Going to something with code review is going to feel like it's going to bog you down. Like you're going to have to move a lot slower and it's going to like it's going to feel like it's you know harshing the wind on your sails and you're going to not be able to move quite as quickly i think the benefit though of part of it is that you no longer have to worry about bad or silly mistakes resulting in like breakage because if you have someone else reviewing it they're going to help catch like oh you missed a semicolon here or oh you misspelled this variable name but there's you know some kind of um like a a check from someone else to kind of help validate the stuff that you're you're bringing in. So it's it should theoretically it should help reduce maintenance cost overall in the long run. So future you benefits. It's kind of like having automated tests similar to that. So one of the ways I look at this, and you know, there's a a concept here that I'm I'm not going to address like maybe directly, but I'm going to try to weave it through some of this. Obviously code review as a step in your workflow is going to be more ingrained if you work somewhere with multiple people and Mm -hmm. that's part of your team's process if you are a freelance developer if you are a lone wolf developer or if you just do it for fun just because you don't have yourself surrounded by a team of people doesn't mean you can't do code review you can self-review that's something we'll talk about here in a bit but you can also invite 
other people. We're going to talk about some of the tools like GitHub and whatnot and community mm -hmm. coding. And you can invite other people in for just, you know, freelance review, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a little harder, certainly, but just because you code by yourself, don't let that lock you into sort of a myopic view of your work. Mm -hmm. uh, because the reality is there are more than one way, more than one way to skin a cat. And it's going to come down to like you, learning happens best when other people challenge your way of thinking usually. Mm -hmm. And if you just do things the way you do them, because that's the only way you ever learned, <laughs> you're, you're going to have design pat or coding patterns and stuff that they may work, but you may also be using twice the Ram. It may take mm -hmm. three times as long as it needs to. Like there are, things that you may not pick up if you aren't talking to other people about that. So as I say, I'm not going to address that directly, but I just wanted to say it out loud because sure. it is going to feel like I don't want people to feel like they're out in the cold. If we're talking about this and they're like, well, I don't have somebody to come look at my stuff. Sure <laughs> you do. Ask us, come jump on our discord and just yeah. be like, Hey guys, you were talking about code review. I'm trying to learn this stuff. Could one of you maybe just look at it and give me some advice. We'll jump in there. We'll go look at some stuff for you. As long as you're not I asking us to look at a thousand lines of code. Yeah. I, I regularly go onto the Rails subreddit and, you know, people will post stuff. They'll be like they're stuck on something or they want kind of a a, sen a sensibility check on something. And, you know, I'll I'll happy to review that and comment on it. Um, I enjoy that a lot. So and the reason I say that now specifically, my one of my points about why code review is good has to do with the fact that a code base itself can be incredibly big. It, a code base mm -hmm. can be big enough that you don't know every part of it. The people at Microsoft who develop Windows, there's nobody at that company that knows every part of that code. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing. You know, certainly there are folks who know a lot of it, but they don't know every little tiny in and out. Yeah. Because you don't know every nook and cranny, that review process can help with things like stopping you from reinventing the wheel Mm -hmm. It may shine light on libraries that you have already installed or already available to you that have been built or APIs that you didn't know were there, but mm -hmm. that solve a problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, and so that process of review is basically helping you leverage the community collective brain trust of the code base you're working on. And as a result, helps you learn that code base better. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say is like, it's also a benefit for your team. And we'll we'll talk about that more later too, um, because you're, more of your team is getting exposure. So it helps build the domain knowledge of how your code base is changing. Yeah, you don't need to be an expert in the whole code base. Obviously, yeah. I just said that you can't, but right. just knowing, and you learn things, especially if you're a junior dev and or, or an associate developer, you start to learn things about how not just what code is there, but how is it structured? Oh, how would I have gone and found this thing? Oh, it turns out we've got artifactory set up and we've got all this stuff in there that I could go look through um, or search, you know, through documentation mm -hmm. or whatnot. You start to learn sort of the, the broader structure and strategy as well, not mm -hmm. just the actual, you know, axioms and things like that that come into the code itself. Nice. The other thing I'll say about this is I think it's really important and really beneficial to review stuff you're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. A lot of code review is kind of focused on senior members reviewing, you know, mid and, and entry level developers work. 
there's a huge amount of value in entry-level people looking at the work that the senior people are doing, you know, Mm -hmm. because they are going to know more and, and be more involved in that. And that's an opportunity to ask questions and to learn again. It's a learning process. Review is all about making you better. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I say that, I say it from the aspect of it makes the reviewer and the reviewee both better (laughs) when that is a functional, you know, healthy process. It should never be one way. It's, it's not even two way. I wouldn't even say it's between those two. Good review is all about the collective, the team, and making sure, like you said, spread that domain knowledge out. Get everybody yeah. a little seasoned in different things, and at least that way so that we can have conversations about, you know, bringing something new in or how something, you know, change might affect other things. Um, but people have to have some of that experience to be able to do that, in my eyes. Right. How are we going to do these code reviews, Michael? Well, the how depends, I think, right, on who you are, where you are, how many people are involved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, luckily, there there is no one right way to do a code review. Um, mm-hmm. Before we had fancy tools, and like you were saying, you know, in the dark ages, when we didn't have access to something <laughs> like GitHub, <laughs> a common way of doing code review was email. Like people would oh. literally email <laughs> code back and forth and use that to monitor threads. And we're going to talk about tools that can help you with this. And one of the ones I listed was, yeah, if you have nothing, you have email and <laughs> a, a filter and a template can give you a, a system to work with. I have literally printed code off and then like what sat down with someone and marked it up with pen. Because I mean, sometimes it's just easier to do that, you know? Yeah. Especially if it's a really large file. So one approach that we see used a lot is, and, and this is one where, uh, where I say, like, if you're the lone wolf programmer, self-review or a self-approval process mm-hmm. where at the very least you're kind of taking a moment to sort of step beside yourself a little mm-hmm. bit. And and spend time with your code, but not as the developer, as the person reviewing, basically. It's hard. You have to, I think, you have to have a good sense of self-critique, I think, to do this well. <laughs> I I am doing this. I'm volunteering for a local organization um, to do some development for them. And I do this because I'm the only dev on the project. So I create issues for myself. And then when I have time, I sit down. And then I just, I'll grab an issue and I'll work on it. And then I'll put a pull request and I'll actually make a pull request. And then I'll look through it. And basically the PR allows me to look at the differential. Like it shows red for remove and green for added and then white for unchanged. Um, And I could kind of check for like, oh, did I leave anything in by mistake? Or I, I don't know that I necessarily apply the same level of rigor you might have if someone else was reviewing it, but it's still, it's still useful to me because occasionally I'll be like, Oh shit, I left debugging code in there (laughs) or like, Oh, I didn't mean to add this file to this commit. Oops. The way I I think about it too, is like, you're basically playing devil's advocate against yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to think of it that way, like your role in that instance is to ask yourself the questions, you know, okay, I did this. Is there a better way? You know, or I, I saw somebody else 
can, you know, I, I saw somebody else do this a certain way. Can I replicate that instead? Yeah. Um, and, and why would I do that? Uh, I agree with you. I have a habit of, um, so I'm, I mentioned, uh, last episode, we're doing this redesign of the drunken UX site. So I've got a repo going, got tickets. I'm making issues for everything as I'm going. And I will frequently sort of think in issues, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. As a means of like brainstorming with myself, I'll yes. write stuff down and then I won't worry about it for a while. I will come back to it in a day or two when it's not fresh anymore, because mm-hmm. then it's sort of like I'm not dealing with myself in that conversation. I'm dealing with past <laughs> Michael and right. past Michael knew less than current Michael does. So, <laughs> yeah. so I can, yeah. it, it makes it actually, it's, it, it makes it easier to give myself a, you know, a mental disconnect from that original sure. thought so that I can give myself room to question an idea or a decision and think about, oh, wait, maybe this isn't the right way to do this because of yeah. the accessibility concerns or whatever. I think the extraneous stuff kind of falls away, too, once you've had some time to step away from it. I, I think another another reason that I like, I, I like how you mentioned thinking in issues. When I have to think about something as what is this thing that I'm trying to add and I have to write about it in a text box. It helps me kind of focus in on what I'm actually trying to accomplish. And so then when I'm taking the code, it helps me stay in scope because I have a scope defined. And then when I'm, when I make my own pull request and I'm reviewing it myself, I can say like, you know, like, am I sticking with, am I finishing what this issue was supposed to be? And it's just sort of like a compact that I make with myself. I, I like having the history of pull requests that I can look back on because then later on, if I'm trying to figure out why did I do this, I can look back and see that history and any commentary I may have made myself. It's like having like a journal, but with hypertext. Yeah. This kind of leads into the next kind that we enumerated here, which is um, review, but no approval required. And that's sort of like what you and I are doing with the Drunken UX theme because, yeah. um, you know, you list, you wrote, wrote out some issues and then I've been kind of grabbing a couple here and there and, and then I'll like throw up a PR and then I don't merge it. I don't self merge it. Cause I want you to see what I've done both kind of as like a sensibility check. And also because I want you to know, like this thing now exists in the code base so that when you're doing stuff, you know about it. Right. Um, but I'm not like waiting on your approval or anything. I'm just like, check this out and then you can merge it when you're ready. And, and likewise, you know, hell I'm, I'm sitting there fucking code cowboy committing the master. So <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I think it gets down to like, who's cleaning up the messes, right? So like, <laughs> you, you fuck up master. Like that's, <laughs> that is on me gonna, at that point. It's going to be you to fix it. <laughs> so talk to me about then the, the opposite of that. Like what, what would an approval required process look like? This is a really common, like uh, GitHub is really great about this, but this is really common with any kind of team where you have, I would say more than two people, maybe more than three. We we have three and this is the process we use. Yeah. Okay. Um, an approval required is basically the same as what we just talked about. So you have to create a pull request, but then you're not allowed to merge it until you have at least one approval. Um, I've been on teams where you have to have two approvals. Um, you do get the same benefits as with doing PRs, just like for any any of the things, whether you're doing self-approval or not. Um, I like this because 
when the rest of the team has to approve it, the, the rest of the team ostensibly has to look at your code and then they're now aware that this code exists. Yeah. So there's an expansion of like communal domain knowledge, which is a great thing. One con though is especially with two approvals, you get into situations where, you know, you've maybe you grabbed some small issues this week. We have two or three issues that are small and you need somebody to review them, but everyone else is busy working on their stuff. And that can kind of it, it introduce some lag and latency. So you want to make sure that you have stuff that you can work on when you have that kind of downtime. Yeah. I like, I like one approval that, that is like a nice, like yeah, both we, as a developer. Yeah. I, as a developer and like as the developer of the feature and also someone else on the same team, I like having one approval because it means at least, you know, that if you did anything that was ridiculous, someone else also agrees that it's okay. <laughs> it, <laughs> so there's... it is not a foolproof process, mind you. Like, no, no. The, it, stuff gets by. Stuff will always... Sure. One of the... One of the um, there's, there's one more, though, that we should hit on first, which has to do with uh, com <laughs> command line merges. So I, I was on a team once, um, and this was intentional, but they didn't do pull requests. So we did pairing, and you'd be pair programming with someone else, and you would work on the feature, and then when you both agreed the feature was done, you would, you know, make sure the build passes, and then if it passes, then okay, and you merge it. It was predicated on, we had an automated test suite, and there was an expectation of everyone on the team that you were writing tests to cover any features you add, and that you were manually testing stuff as well in the staging environment before merging it to mainline. So that was kind of like a necessary component for this to be able to work. It felt so like I, I always felt uncomfortable with it. it I, it's I kind of like a review on demand almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was nice to know that someone else built the code with me, and like we definitely caught a lot of like review type commentary and discussion happening while the code is happening. So it's not like that didn't happen, but. I don't know. There's just something reassuring about having someone look at what you finished and being like, yeah, this looks copacetic. Like you, you got all the stuff here and we're good. It's supposedly faster to not do pull requests and require approvals. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if we actually saved any time or gained any time. I have had more, I would say more productivity on other teams. I like where we did do approvals. I think that the velocity there has a lot to do with how tickets are written and a lot less to do with um, with how they're reviewed. Yeah. But that's, I, I don't know. I feel like I have some some amount of authority just because I've worked on so many teams the last two years, but um, it's, just, it's my opinion, though. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, let's talk about, regardless of the process you use, I think there are some things to kind of look out for and keep in mind. Um, both as the reviewer and the reviewee to just kind of be aware of some of these things, because I think they factor into almost any paradigm regardless. Um, the first one I'll, I'll mention, because I was just about to say it anyway, is <laughs> to be mindful of context blindness. And what I mean by that, because I have this problem with GitHub a lot. We have okay. certain chunks of our code base where some files are big, 600 lines, 1,000 lines maybe. It's not great. It would be nice if they were more abstract and we are working on that. But in the meantime, it takes time to break some of those files down. 
And what will happen is if you tweak a function and change a couple variable names, they will show you the little chunk of seven or eight lines that you change, mm. and they'll show you three or four lines above and below that, yeah. but they won't necessarily show you anything around it. And you have to click on the little up yeah, or down arrow. you have yeah. to expand yeah. it if you want to see anything. Yeah. And there are times, not every time, but there mm. are certainly times where that context can be very valuable to understanding why decisions get made to do something a certain way. I changed one line of code, mm -hmm. but it's because the 10 lines before that were do doing a certain thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you don't see those immediately, the, my, my suggestion for that to kind of avoid that is as the developer, as the reviewee, mm -hmm. when you are making a change that is like that comment on your code, when you make your pull request or when you make oh, that commit right. and yeah. notate that line to say exactly that so that when the reviewer comes in, they know that, you know, oh, hey, I changed this because if you right. look at the original function, I need to, like, maintain the signature for, you know, that's, this reason. That's a really good point you just brought up, too. Um, even if you do have someone else reviewing your code, the first person to review your code should always be you. Because there's going to be, you know, fruit that's like barely hanging on, ready to fall off to be, you know, to be noticed. Um, that's a bad metaphor. <laughs> well, there's there's a the it's phrase we easy use, stuff to catch. Yeah. The, the way we yeah. say it is leave it better than you found it. Yeah. And, yeah. And what we'll we'll bring up here in this section here in just a second. Um, well, here, I'll just jump right to that. How's that sound? Um the way we say it at work, leave it better than you found it. This is just this idea of maybe change some vars to consts in your JavaScript, you know, mm -hmm. and instead of having everything be a variable, make some of them constants because, you know, they never change. It's just better semantics in your code at that point. And it's, it's you know, it makes the code safer in that instance. Um, you know, little things like that. Rewrite an if statement as a ternary just to make it shorter and more readable. Like little things mm -hmm. like that that can be done in the context of your work. This should sure. not be confused with an, and I forget which article it was, but there's going to be an article in the show notes that has this. There's a joke about things to avoid. Review mm -hmm. time is not a developer's opportunity to suggest that the reviewee fix all the problems. Right. Like you <laughs> review time is not the time to say, you know what? I think this whole thing would be better as a react component instead of part of right. this angular thing. Like, no, I'm not going to take, I, I was fixing a variable name. I'm not going to take 12 hours to rewrite this whole thing out of that. I want to say that if it comes, if it comes up, it should be noted somewhere and it's fine to say, this is a note for later. We should consider doing this, but don't put the honest on the person who submitted their code. Right. Cause you're just going to push the goalposts back and, and, yeah, And I would argue that if, if you need to document a necessary change like that, then you mm -hmm. make an issue. Just create an it. issue. Yeah, yeah you, you need to issue. create a ticket for it because nobody's going to go back and look at that review no. and, and see that comment and remember. No. And um, anyway, so that's, that's number one. The other one that – or the other two, these two kind of go together. Yeah. Um, one is that you shouldn't have to spend a lot of time on reviews. Like, Oh, gosh, no. Like yeah. definitely less than an hour of your workday should ever be spent on reviews um, unless you oh. are just a huge software company. And that is and as your QA or something, that's your job. You shouldn't be committing tons of time. And the way you do that is individual reviews nominally 
should be kept mm. under about 400 lines. That's based on research that Smart Bear did. Do you mean like the submitted code to be reviewed should be under 400 lines? Yeah, like the okay. thing, the review being requested should be under 400 lines, like in, in total. Because beyond that, you start to get a drop off in the number of things caught for the time invested. Yeah, definitely. And I, I could see that. I understand that, that can be hard, especially if you're working with like branches and pull requests. And it may be a lot of individual pieces of work that you've done. Mm -hmm. But like GitHub says, yeah, but we're making them review the whole PR and the whole PR is 25 files, you know, 14,000 right. lines of code. I get that. And that's where it goes back to what I said earlier. As the developer, comment the stuff that's especially important. And if you can, try to submit stuff in smaller chunks as you're yeah. going. Don't, like, try to make one big PR out of it. There's no rule that says you have to do that. Make two branches and start your development in one, merge it into the other with that one being the one that you will ultimately merge into your staging branch or whatever. If you're if you have an issue that has like a to do list, you know, do one one commit for or one commit and pull request for each item on the to do list if necessary. Like they don't pull requests don't have to and shouldn't be big. They should be focused. Like the the pull request, you should be able to say in summary what is being added to the code base or what is being changed in the code base by this pull request, and that scope that you're defining should be complete by the pull request. And and there will always be exceptions. Four hundred lines sounds reasonable, though. That that's I I've been I've been I've reviewed pull requests that were much longer than that, and I've written some that were longer than that. And yeah, there's like a fatigue you get after a while. Hey, well, you get code blindness. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked about context blindness, but you also get code code blindness, mm -hmm. trying to stare at all that stuff and read through it and see. Well, did they miss a bracket? Did they you know name their variables right? And after a while, you don't care. I would say that I probably spend about no more than five minutes looking at the code itself initially. And then I might spend five to ten minutes total writing any comments. Two to three minutes. That's about our average code review at work. It's probably two mm -hmm. to three minutes. And one of my big ones is uh, providing the why behind a review. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, I think there's, there's two sides to this too, but go ahead and say, your but I was just going to say it, it's, it comes back to this learning opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you just say, do this a different way, but you don't explain why that person doesn't understand what was wrong with the way they did it. Mm -hmm. You know, was it not appropriate for the code styles you guys use? Was it using the wrong API? Was it not, you know, you know, formatting the, the tabs, right? Like what's the deal? <laughs> so try to explain why something should be done a certain way. There's an article over at tech Republic. They say, um, never return null when retrieving a list of records from the database, say when returning records from the database and they, and there aren't any, we should return an empty list because all the list methods work on an empty list and we don't have to introduce error handling code. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, don't do this, you say, yeah, we shouldn't do this because we have things to handle it. Yeah. And now that person knows in the future that that's the case. I like, I like the fact that they use kind of the plural nominative case there. They say we, 
Um, and you could also say like us, like let us do this instead. I think that it's important because the the act of doing submitting code for review is implicitly like vulnerable. Like you are asking someone else to judge your stuff, basically. And using inclusive language that you know that sounds collaborative makes it easier to provide critical feedback because you know the, the tribe is still accepting you and wants you to be better and to produce better stuff for the tribe. Yeah. Like you're you're still you're not being you're not being ostracized or ousted uh, with criticism. You're included. Yeah, you have agency. The, you have agency in yeah. the solution. And like in this case, if it was something like what this uh, Tech Republic article said, you know, you know, we uh, shouldn't return an empty list because all the list methods work on an empty list, and we don't have to introduce error handling code. Like that's all about the code that has was written before you probably, mm -hmm. but you have ownership over that too. Like that's, that's something that is now yours as much as anything. And you deserve to benefit from that knowledge and that code. The only time that I would ever use language that was in a more of an imperative, like imperative sense would be if some, if something was dangerous, um, like, uh, if they wrote something that would introduce an SQL injection vulnerability, or if it was like, oh, this is going to break stuff, I might say something like, don't do this, or please don't do this, and then explain why. Yeah. Yeah, regardless, like, the why yeah. should be included. Yes, the I why know. must be there. <laughs> I, the, the flip side of this, I was going to say, is when you're writing your pull request summary to submit for review, you should provide the why there as well about... Why are you submitting this? What is this pull request doing? What is what are the features or enhancements being introduced by this, or what's the bug being fixed? Um, provide that context first, because the person doing the review is going to read that first, and that's going to kind of frame what they need to look for. Otherwise, it's just like a bunch of code, and some of it the reviewer probably hasn't seen in a while, and it, it can be like really disorienting. So the summary is very important. So when you're submitting something for review, make sure that you have a good summary there too. Yeah. And and even to that point, just thinking about summaries, it's also okay to ask for specific feedback too. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've talked about this in past episodes and, and looking at code and knowing that I wrote code that works, but I would really like for somebody to help me write it better. Like, yeah. And just say, could could somebody look at these while loops and, and see if there's mm -hmm. a better way? Cause I feel like it's very heavy and you can draw some extra attention to those. Cause there are a lot of cases and things like that where the reviewer, even if they are, you know, a really talented high level developer, they may look at it and be like, yeah, that works. And they may not take yeah. the time to show you a better way because they, they do have stuff to get to. And so they're going to be like, you know, it's not worth explaining at that point. But if you mm -hmm. want to learn that, ask. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, if I feel wibbly about something I've submitted, I'll, I'll call it out in the summary and I'll say like, hey, like, or I'll just actually go to the, I'll go to the code review or the, um, excuse me, the changed files itself and I'll find the line or lines and I'll put a comment there myself and I'll say, I'm not sure about this, but I can't figure out how to do it better. Like you were just saying. Yeah. And is like, is this okay? Or like, what's the best way to do this or whatever? You know, it's the more you can provide uh, like to prepare the person reviewing your code, the better your review will be. It's, it's very much a collaborative process. 
the uh, the next one I need you to pay particular attention to for me, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I need you to not be a jerk. Don't tell him what to do. I don't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't need you to help with the site redesign if that's going to be your attitude. <laughs> Just saying. You rickroll one time in a PR. <laughs> the uh, the this goes so this goes every way, right? Don't mm-hmm. be a jerk when you write your PRs, and in all of these articles we'll have in the show notes, you know, many of them talk about this in different ways. I sort of mm-hmm. summed them up under this, but it it's like understand your tone, understand that text mm-hmm. does not convey tone, right? And know that. The people you work with want to make improvements, you know? Yeah. They, they're they part of the solution. They are on the same team with you. Uh, they want to learn why suggestions should be considered, you know, regardless. And if you get that feedback, don't be a jerk about it. And we've talked about this before uh, in other uh, contexts, this idea of, you know, sometimes you need to sit down and be a little introspective and learn how to take criticism. And hopefully that is very constructive, positive criticism. But Mm -hmm. even when it is, sometimes some folks do have trouble with that. And it's not about you. It's, it's not about making you feel bad. It's not about tearing your code down. It's just about, Hey, we need to do this a little differently because, and as long as that because is there, then they're probably (laughs) trying to do their best to help you. This is where, like, you know, people often talk about how soft skills are as important in tech as technical skills are. And this is one of those places where it really is. And and again, I mentioned earlier about how submitting your code for review is a vulnerable exposure. That you're, you're exposing yourself to this person to, to be judged. And that can be difficult, especially when um, if you're a newer person, maybe you've got imposter syndrome. We talk about a lot, that a lot on this show. Uh, if you feel like you're a fake and you're about to show someone the code that you just wrote and you're like, they're going to all find out that I'm shit, you know, like that can be terrifying. Yeah. So as a reviewer, I mean, A, I, like, I think the gold star reviewer will recognize if the person they're reviewing is getting defensive and they will disarm that. They will say like, you're cool, but we're going to go through this and we're going to make this better together. And they're going to include them in the process and help to kind of defuse the imposter alarms that are going off for the person being reviewed. But definitely like, don't be shitty. <laughs> and I mean, and that can be really apparent in some of those power dynamics, right? If mm-hmm. it's an associate developer and a senior developer, there's a power dynamic in play there. And e- even if you work at a really flat organization where, yeah, you have titles, but really everybody's doing everything. That's, that's some people are going to know more than others. Yeah. They've been on it longer, but yeah, like, and that's kind of how we operate. I mean, we're a three-man team at work, so it's not a, a three-people team. Um, but that power dynamic, like, I'm the senior dev, but I at no point want any of my other coworkers to feel like I am trying to pull a lever over them, you know? And I expect right. them to come at me on the stuff I write, because right. Lord knows... Every one of us will cut a corner somewhere once in a while when we're frustrated or agitated or just tired. And so Mm. I expect you to call out my code, too, and that goes both ways. And so 
understanding that is really important. And in some organizations, especially a really formally structured one that's large, Mm -hmm. those power dynamics can be a little more powerful. And those people have to understand that. Like you have to realize that just the fact that you're chiming in can feel a little punchy, so to speak. So you need to kind of (laughs) nurture those relationships and and be cognizant of of that. I would say on the flip side of all of that, though, is like when you're – like when you're reviewing someone's code, don't not provide criticism. They, they, we call it rubber stamping. Don't just be like, yeah, it looks great. Good. Yeah. You know, if you write, if all of you write in the, the poor view approval is LGTM looks good to me and nothing else. Um, you may want to get another, like you may, that person may want to get someone else to review it. Um, but just don't review it at that point, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't need I, to I think that. they, Maybe maybe that's okay if it's a very small, like you're changing a configuration file or something, or I don't know. If I'm reviewing something, I like to at least provide like some kind of feedback to kind of show that I actually read it. Either like so, one thing that's really cool to do, if on a supportive team, when you're doing your reviews, um, look for like clever or cool or um, just good code that the submitter wrote and call it out. And say like, oh, nice work. This is really cool. Um, or or just like anything. Like I mean, it's, you know, it can help like really lift your team up that way. Um, I mentioned keeping recommendations in scope. That's mm-hmm. what I started with. That's just that idea of don't ask them to do things that are way, way out of band for what's happening. Um, right. The other part is, uh, and this goes along more with what you were just saying, you know, don't be a rubber stamp, be engaged. Right. And that goes both ways. If you are doing code reviews, that is a part of your process. And as a result, if you're not engaged with that process, you could be blocking Mm -hmm. stuff from moving forward. Mm -hmm. If you aren't reviewing, then you're making it harder for everybody else to review what's there. And if it's your code, you should be responding. When people leave you reviews, at least tell them if you did it or won't do it. Um, Let them know that their review was you know, picked up on, so to speak. Not every review is going to result in action. You know, they may just right. be saying something to help you know something. I, we do that all the time. Like, it's like, hey, you know, next time I might do this this way um, because, yeah. you know, we have some utility classes, but this isn't, like, doesn't rise to the level of going back and unwinding the work. You know, it still will work fine and is acceptable, you know. I would I would add to this, like, we we were talking a little earlier about like the language to use and like the tone to keep. I sometimes see uh review commentary as passive aggressive is a loaded word <laughs> or a loaded term and it sounds negative and that's not what I'm trying to say, but sometimes pull request commentary is presented as a question like what if we did this instead? But what they really mean is, I want you to do it this way instead. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, there's a I name don't for like that, it. and I can't think of what it is off the top. Of my yeah, head, I, but <laughs> I don't know what to call it. It's either, along but... the lines of like a leading question, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like it's one thing if you ask someone like, like a legitimate question, like, have you considered doing this, or like, what would happen if this happened? Because you're actually wanting to have a discussion about it, and you actually want them to answer the question. That's fine. Like, I've done that. I've answered those questions. 
it's useful because sometimes like, you know, as a reviewer, maybe you're looking at something and you're like, oh yeah, like I, obviously we should be using this thing instead, this tool. And maybe the person considered that and there was something, problems they ran into and they couldn't do it. This pull request or code review is a great place to have that discussion. What I'm talking about is when it's like, like, oh, well, what about putting a semicolon at the end of this line? Or like, how about you include a comment? Something like that. <laughs> what would happen if you broke this out into like a function? Yeah. Um, don't do that. Not because it's like a shitty thing to do, but because it's like, you're not communicating your intentions. You want them to change it. Say so. Yeah. But then say why, you yeah. know, like we said earlier, say why you should change it. Like, oh, um, could you maybe like, could you please break this out into a function? Um, we think this would be better because of this reason or whatever. And then that way, the person who's submitted the code, they then know that they have an action item to respond to and they'll know when they've done it and then they can follow up. The very last one in this bank is, um, this is the hardest one, I think, and it can be really hard to do this really appropriately. And it depends a lot on your workflow overall, but try, I say, I, I say this, don't review at the very end. Really what I should have said is try not to review at the very end, because it goes back to what we started with, with this idea of don't spend more than an hour doing code reviews. Try to keep code reviews under 400 lines. You want them to be fast. When especially because because what happens is right if you have a big chunk of work and that review doesn't come until the very last PR then that's mm -hmm. where you end up with 247 files you know yeah 33,212 lines of code for people to look through <laughs> and it's just it's daunting and so if you can try to do it as you progress the, there is another really good reason for this though because it it's if you did mess something up or you did do something wrong or out of pattern mm. and it's not found until after you've done a week of work on it, unbaking that cake can be a pain in the ass. And everybody knows that feeling because we've all had that happen at one time <laughs> think, or another. At one time or another, we've all done that. The, I would agree with that. The classic, <laughs> the classic example of this is, oh, hey, these buttons aren't accessible. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't make any of this stuff. Wait. None, there's, none of the keyboard controls work on any of this page because you didn't use the right elements. You should do the code review for each individual ticket within the feature. Right. Each little piece. That's when the code review should happen. If you if you wait until the end, I like the unbaking the cake thing. That. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, like you you, you can pull fuck around or, and find out the other <laughs> the other metaphor right is pulling a thread on a sweater. Right. You've You've got mm. this whole thing put together and you've written the APIs into it and, and all this stuff and you realize, oh, I've got to refactor this. And then mm -hmm. that snowballs into every other piece of your code slowly. Like, yeah, yeah, whether it's unbaking a cake or pulling on a thread, you can mm -hmm. cause a lot of damage by not catching something like that early enough and cost a week's worth of development time as a result. And And I mean, more importantly, from a, a bigger, like a macro scale, if you're waiting until the epic point to do your review think about all the domain that you've denied your coworkers access to and when i've when i've been in situations like that what has happened is we'll have three different tickets that are related and all three of us all three of the tickets will be solved in slightly different ways and now we've got three different approaches submitted for the same feature 
And like that kind of thing can happen if you wait until if you wait until it's too late to be doing your code review. Yeah. So let's close out here. Just to talk about some of the tools and some of what can mm-hmm. help you with this process. Um, the first, I want you to go check out uh, CodeMentor.io over on their mm-hmm. blog. They've got a checklist. So if you want to build a code review process for your work or something like that, and you don't really know where to start, they've got a mm-hmm. checklist and you can pick and choose from it, you know, for what's useful for you. You don't have to do everything, but they've got things like, you know, check for readability, oh, cool. check for maintainability, check for security, speed and performance, documentation, make sure, you know, does... So one thing like I'm pushing on right now at work is whenever JavaScript gets touched and you do something with a function or make a new one, it needs JS docs so that we can, you know, automate the production of documentation for that code now. And if somebody new comes in and looks at that code, they understand what it's doing and why. So Mm -hmm. make sure documentation is there. Um, Check for reinventing the wheel, reliability, scalability, reusability, patterns. Test coverage and test quality. You've brought that one up. Um, fit mm-hmm. for purpose. Notice what's missing. Zoom out. That gets back to this idea of looking at context. So this is a really good uh, list of things you can go look at. It's a little bit longer article because they go into each of those and, and why. But um, I think that's a good place to start for one. If you just kind of want to understand, you know, and it depends. How formal do you want that review to be? Every review does not have to have a checklist. You know, that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it did, some reviews would take longer than, you know, the work that actually produced them in some of those cases. So don't feel like you have to do it every time, but it can be a starting point. On GitHub, you can do a pull request template. And the template has sort of like pre-filled out, you know, headings and things that the person can then fill out when they're writing their pull request summary. You can put a checklist in there using Markdown and something they do at my current job. And I've seen this at other previous jobs too, is they'll have a checklist of does my pull request satisfy each of these things? Yeah. Like sort of the team has sort of agreed. These things are important for every pull request to consider. And you just self-review, you go to each item. Did I do each of these things? And once you've done all those checklist items, then that's the point when you have someone else review your code. Yeah. Um, the next thing, this gets into a couple different kinds of tools a little bit, but mm. make sure you're using linters and uh, a static analysis tool and something like a like prettier in VS Code. <laughs> I, I like I love and hate linters. I like they're opinionated. I, they're opinionated. They're very opinionated. And they're, they're a pain in the ass, but like But they also they're a pain in the ass because they do the things so to they make the code look consistent and right. that's why i like them i i like that about it because you have you never have to worry about white space weirdness or um you know stylistic issues about spacing or, and like you were saying right oh a missing semicolon or a missing bracket or right. something like no that no longer is a thing like those and, yeah. and what some of the articles will talk about is anything you can automate you should you shouldn't be yeah. relying on somebody else's eyes to notice that you missed a semicolon in your code, especially when JavaScript now doesn't care. Like, Right, right. And a lot of them can even do autocorrect. Like uh, right. I use Rubocop a lot and Rubocop, you just do Rubocop dash A and it will run through all of your files according to its very detailed uh, syntax linting. 
and then it, if it can, if it can safely do it, it will fix the lines for you. Yeah, and you can take if you use VS Code and you uh, have the prettier uh, plugin installed along with mm-hmm. eleven million other people. You should have it if you don't. <laughs> um, you can set that when you save a file to run prettier on your code just automatically, mm-hmm. and just that's the way it works. So you never have to think All about right. it then. So. The only thing I will say about this is autocorrect is fine and even automating having run it is fine, but always, always check what is being changed before you commit it. I had a coworker who had rubicopying auto run and committing, like we just auto run and commit after you save a file. And it ended up introducing a bug into production because of just... This is a weird thing, but it introduced a bug in production unintentionally, um, and it was overlooked in the code review. I have personally had methods that looked similar to other things, and RuboCop says like, oh, you did this, but really, you should have done it this way. It's like, well, no, actually, that's totally different from what I'm trying to do here. So just you know, commit, save and commit your code first, then run your linters, and do autocorrect or whatever, and see what changes it's making, make sure that everything looks okay, and then commit the linting separate. I've just, that's my soapbox there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other uh, the other tools, I'm going to just lump these together, really, because they're all the same. Crucible, GitHub, Bitbucket. Um, mm. These are tools, Crucible is an Atlassian at tool. They're the folks who make Jira and Confluence, mm. and Bitbucket, for that matter. But Crucible is like a oh. standalone tool. Um, that they make really it's only going to be good for enterprise setups oh but i include it specifically because of the way it integrates with all of those other tools so Mm. it's kind of one of those like if you're in the ecosystem it can be really beneficial because of how how tied in it is but github we've already referred to it's free a Um, you're probably already doing your code versioning and management and issue tracking and stuff there so that even though the review tools are pretty rudimentary, it's there. Um, and you can do a lot to kind of beef those up. Bitbucket has added it recently. Um, I'll have a link to the instructions there, but it's very similar to GitHub at that point mm. um, in terms of how they tied it in. Um, there are, and for what it's worth, I know some of you are probably going to be like, but you didn't mention this tool or whatever. Yes, there are a lot of code review tools out there. Yeah. There are a lot of them. Yeah. The problem is most of them are apart from everything else and they tie into Git or they tie into SVN or they tie into any of these systems and that's all well and good. But the reality is if you're going to do that, you might as well just use what's in GitHub. That's my personal opinion on that. Um, one, one thing I always worry about is adding yet another tool, right? To a workflow process. And it's like, yeah, okay, now, you know, now we've got this code review tool that's out there that we have to go log into and check that on top of it. And it's not in our ticketing system. There's no tracking. It's not in GitHub. So I just, I, I say that for that purpose that, yeah, I know if you wanted to go out there and, and grab a, grab a review board, grab Fabricator, mm-hmm. grab CodeSense. Yes, I know these are all things. Garrett, Road Code. there's a million tools for it. And I'm sure many of them are incredibly good, but I tend to feel like the best tool is the one that's right in front of you. And since most 
repos now have that option, you're in pretty good shape. There was a um, a quote from Linus Torvalds, the guy that the initial creator of Linux, and it, it's I guess it's now called Linus's Law. Given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow, and I think that that's sort of it's kind of like what's behind the importance of code review is you have enough people look at your code and weighing that against you know the time lost for having more people look at it but even if people look at your code and it helps to make sure that there's like fewer bugs this is referring to like the basis of like open source contributions like having enough people working on a project and eventually like all bugs become visible when resolved but i think it applies for code review too yeah I agree. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Drunken UX podcast. I hope that you've learned something about code review or you're excited about code review or interested in it. Let us know, you know, how your experiences go with that. Um, or, you know, horror stories. Maybe you've had a really bad time with it. I would be interested in hearing that to understand why, you know, what went wrong in those situations and, you know, is there advice we could provide you or, you know, help we could offer? I'm happy to do that. So um, if you want to share any of those stories or have any questions about that, or like I say, do you want to have somebody review some code for you um, so you can get a feel for it? Let us know. We're on Twitter, Facebook at slash Drunken UX. You can get us on Instagram slash Drunken UX podcast or on our Discord at drunkenux.com slash Discord. I will make Aaron do all the work if you do that so i like the encoder reviews i would if if i know the language i can help you well, even if you don't if i don't and i can read it how yeah and it's not JavaScript, how will you ever learn a new language if you don't sit there and, and read it I, I don't know how i, I don't I, it wasn't a joke i'm just saying like you gotta oh <laughs> you gotta get in there like i can read java i'm not gonna write it but i can read java usually <laughs> i i understand it i'm gonna i'm gonna put two qualifiers on here I, I don't expect, unless you're a very, very early academic level person, if you're writing C++, I probably don't want to review that. I did that enough years ago. And if you're doing JavaScript, I'm going to make Michael review it. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'll actually give you give one last piece of sort of parting advice here. And that's uh, if you are a teacher, have mm. your classes review each other's work. Don't grade them Ooh. entirely on your own instill in them like use tools that allow your class to collaborate with each other so even if it's public github repos that's good enough get in like and that. do code reviews and get them used to that process because it's going to make them better when they get out of school and it's going to make get them used to getting that feedback and learning how to respond to that feedback you really get like multiplicative returns on that too because you know you're it's, it's a lot easier to learn something when you're teaching it to someone else because it, to communicate the ideas, you really have to get down to the crux of it. And I, I think you really get that a lot if you have, if you like do peer reviewing, peer editing. Yes, that's a great yeah, idea. I, I think at the end of the day, it, it really just drives home this idea that if you want to produce the best code and the best work, that through that process, through that good code review, you will inevitably keep your personas close and your users closer. <laughs> There's been like five times already when I was like, he's going to say it. I'm sure he's going to say it. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye-bye.